The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. All right. <laughs> More t- your headphones up too high? I'm having a, a lot of trouble. Oh, man. This is the same jack you were just using, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It's just problem? like simultaneous. It's right on the cusp of where it's like really loud, or if I turn it down slightly, I can't hear myself at all. Oh no! So I don't know what's going on. Well, um, next year when Justin gets back, I'll have him look into it. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, that great. is the big criticism of Justin gone for months. He's just like not around. the last show, if you guys listened to the great Sour Hour feedback on our uh, iTunes. But before we get up too off topic, mm-hmm. it's that time. Yeah, welcome it is. to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay. Hello, Jay. And that's host Scott. Also Hi, host. Scott. We're co-hosts, co-host man. if you will. There Scott's was... also an engineer, though, so he's <laughs> got the better title. <laughs> uh, you, know what, uh, you know what Justin's issue is? Uh, Jamil gave him the RV. Jamil's old RV is now in the possession of Justin, and yes. now he's just, wherever he is on Earth, he's in that thing. And that Is was that right? yeah. That was that was the true catalyst. Uh, um, I'm mostly here to I'm mostly gone. I have an RV now. See you later. Well, it works out really well when we go down to like Firestone Invitational, yeah. for yeah, example. Yeah. We just go back to back with the the Rare Barrel doesn't have an RV, but we'll rent one for that and just go back to back with the BN and Society joined in. You guys heard this on a few shows ago, but that's always a really great time. Our RVs were basically spooning each other. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Except we're you know, but we were kind of like. Butt to butt, facing away from each other, you know? It's like, we don't want to be, like, that intimate with you guys. No, of course not. Head to toe? Not like Push the year before. Showering in your RV. came in and took a shower in our RV. (laughs) You know, I've been trying to, uh, because, you know, the whole thing when Justin got, he was like, hey, the BN has an RV. He made a big announcement when he acquired it from Jamil. Hey, Mm -hmm. it's it's the BN RV. And so I've been trying to kind of be like, hey, look, can I borrow the thing? I mean, it is the BN RV. I even was like, hey, you know, I'll help you revamp the interior. We'll paint it. We'll paint the cabinets. We'll do uh, uh, hardware on all the cabinetry. We'll I'll put in a little tile backsplash in the kitchen area. We'll we'll, we'll modernize the interior. It'll look awesome by the time I'm done with it. And all I ask in exchange for all these handyman services gratis is to borrow the RV. What do you say? Crickets. I never got a response. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe it doesn't have Wi-Fi in the RV. Well, no, this was was long ago. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, he's come back from, or came back from Burning Man, I guess, right? Yeah. I think he drove overnight last night. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, just last night. So he, yeah. he wasn't on the uh, the session earlier this week. With, no, uh, no, no, JP hosted it. And I should mention, since it is another BN show, our friends from Fieldwork. Yep, Fieldwork did the last session. Also in Fieldwork Brewing Company in Berkeley, California. Great local brewery. They're just, you know, a couple freeway exits away, and uh, Alex and Barry do a great job over there. So I'm really looking. I didn't know they were going to be on the session, so I'm looking forward to uh Listen to that one. Yep, I've heard good things, and we still do have some Fieldwork beer on here at the Hop Grenade, and we also have some Rare Barrel beer here uh, at the Hop Grenade, even though Jay doesn't know what I'm talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Zero idea. 
Uh, yeah, Bevo's not here. Uh, she loved to eat a sandwich. And tonight's <laughs> guest is our friend, Matt Miller, Dr. Landon. Oh, the good doctor. He sent in some beer for us, too. That's fantastic. I'm excited about that. Me, too. The founder, creator, president, CEO of Sour Beer Blog and SourBeerBlog.com. Mm-hmm. Continuing to kill it on there. He's got a great new article on the fundamentals of sour beer making, so we'll get into that. I always like to uh, chat with uh, Matt about his articles after they come up because it's such a deep dive, as I've mentioned before. Good to get like a little background info before you go up on the site and uh, chew off that that whole article. But in-depth as always, and this is a very important topic. You know, it's you got to start at the beginning, you know? Brewers who are naturally attracted to sour beer making are experimental and they're always pushing. And I think I, I can speak for myself on this. You know, when you have that kind of mindset, it's easy to get carried away and kind of get, you know, too out there and miss some of the building blocks of what you're trying to go for. So for those of you who, uh, you know, want those building blocks before you dive into the sour beer process, this is a great place to start. So we'll, we'll get into that article and uh, also try some beers. Did you catch anything in the article that he put as a fundamental now that maybe wouldn't have been considered a fundamental 10 years ago? Now versus 10 years. I mean, the extent, the detail, I guess, of what he goes into is kind of the difference. Because, I mean, 10 years ago, there just wasn't nearly as many breweries making sour beer. But, I mean, he's getting into, you know, (laughs) leave it to Matt, I think, you know, he can't. Uh, help himself in one area there there's a pretty extensive listing of uh he goes down like what i'll call the characters of sour beer and in one area he gets into um kind of lesser used uh microorganisms which sometimes will be kind of more more common things like acetobacter Mm -hmm. or something like that but then there's a bunch of other like weird yeasts or bacteria that you know i've heard of maybe once or twice but didn't really know that much about so there's a lot better knowledge of these random yeast and bacteria that you don't really think about when you're thinking about Saccharomyces, Britannomyces, Lactobacillus, and Pediococcus. There's, you know, there's other things that play sometimes in spontaneous fermentation, sometimes in just cross-contamination. So it's, it's important to know what else is in your beer, but there's definitely some advanced knowledge in, even though this is called a, a fundamentals article. He can't help himself. He cannot help. I mean, he's a doctor. He yeah, spends all day, day and night sometimes just operating on tiny Britannomyces cells, trying to, to patch those cell walls up and, and save lives out there. Millions of cell lives. In the package of beer he sent me, he had signed the slip, illegible signature. Oh, yeah. Standard Dr. Fair. Rx. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> okay. So before we get into all that, I want to be a little quick at the at the top here, get to a, a break, and then bring in Matt, because we got a lot to talk to him about with his article, but also uh, drinking his beers. So you can contact us, but you never do. 888-401-BEER. <laughs> I might just cut out the phone line. Just, you know, no more no more phones. No one ever calls. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, but when people do call, it's great, though. Yeah, it's, so. the, it's the inconsistent broadcast schedule. That, that's really the thing. That's yeah, it. and it's it, fine. It's, it's not our fault. It's just that's the nature of podcasts, how it works. When we had Walt on from uh, Wicked Weed and uh, Jen called, yeah. that was a lot of fun. See? And then I got to meet Jen a few weeks after that. That's and right, so I did too. Yep. That, that put it into context totally a lot and uh yeah sometimes we'll get some other uh calls remember we tried to, or uh we got a listener beer we opened it up and i was like oh it'd be great to just call this guy and i think <laughs> he's lived him. in arizona that's right and yes. so we just called it we didn't tell him we were calling him we just called him and he picked up the phone 
And he perfectly, yeah. he was just on. Ready like, to go. He was, knew everything about his process. He was just like, oh, yeah, I'm just hanging out. You want to know about the beer? Yeah. Cool. No, I'm picturing him, like, feeding his newborn in a high chair and then just, like, abandoning <laughs> him and going outside to talk to us. For sure. Yeah. I hope that's what <laughs> That I was fun. Yeah. An outgoing call. So, yeah, if you want to call us, cool. If not, that's also Whatever. Cool. Yeah, we'll get over it. It says here, join us in the chat, but we're not really in the chat, so chat amongst yourselves if mm-hmm. you like, yep. as we mentioned on the last the last show. Feedback, Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com, Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. You can watch us live, thebrewingnetwork.com. Slash TV. And listen live, Brewing Network app, search BN Mobile, subscribe and leave feedback on iTunes. I'll just mention again, we're yeah, reopening the, right? uh, yeah, yeah, Ambassadors of Sour. Yeah. I don't think I mentioned the name in the first uh, in the first one. So but that's, that's part of called. the whole stupid thing. It's the <laughs> <laughs> great sales pitch. Yeah, here's the whole stupid thing. It's our uh, beer club at the Rare Barrel. It's called Ambassadors of Sour. Oh. You get uh, ten exclusively blended beers for the club. A lot of other benefits. You can check it out on our blog, Facebook website. Sign up for our newsletter. But uh, it just makes getting our beer extremely convenient. And new members can enroll starting on Tuesday. October 11th, so that's right after uh, Great American Beer Festival when we come back from that, at 9 a.m. So if you guys are interested, it costs $300 plus tax. And again, 10% discount, ability to purchase bottles online, exclusive blended beers for the club, guaranteed spot in 2018 club. If you're interested, Tuesday, October 11th. Great value. If you like sour beer, no better thing to do on the planet. Sorry, I cut you off right in the middle of your thing. No, just fin- finish your sentence. Just find it on the social medias and all the all the things. By the way, you know, I was telling Jay before the off the air mm-hmm. that uh, the uh, rare barrel social media is an inspiration to. I'm far from a social media person, but I do run the Hop Grenades Twitter, the thing you don't know about. And uh, I uh, use the Rare Barrel social media as, as, a, as an inspiration for that page because your your stuff is so immaculately curated. Your Instagram photos are just un, just fantastic. And there's no, like, there's no fluff and filler and, like, w- some out-of-place photo. Everything is just, like, professional and slick-looking. And I don't know. Whoever's doing it is killing it. Nice. Yeah. It's our sales and marketing team. Alex, Danielle, Tyler is the uh, photographer. He's got his own great Instagram account to follow. But, yeah, I would agree. There's a lot of, you know, I I feel that way about a lot of parts of our brewery where it's just like, you know, I think we try to set a a high standard. But then I'll see what the the people on the sales and marketing team do, like with merch or with the website or with photos. And I'm like, are we better at this than making beer? And a lot of times (laughs) I'm just like, yes. Like our sweatshirt. I know that might seem random, but our Rare Barrel sweatshirt, which I think you can buy on the website, it's probably in stock, that's like the best thing we've ever made, better than any of our beers. (laughs) It's like, I'm serious, it's like the most comfortable sweatshirt, just good, you know, white on gray, hoodie, but just like super soft. Awesome. Yeah. I got like three. Uh, I need. I need. I only have a rare barrel shirt, which I was wearing in Las Vegas this weekend, and had somebody oh. comment on it as I was passing them in a casino. Hey, I love that spot. <laughs> so uh, the uh, it, it spreads far and wide. And I would say that it's not just it's not the merch or the beer. It's just that excellence runs in the rare barrel blood. That's what we, I want to say. We try really hard, and I will accept that compliment. Yeah. And exit the compliment and then and you know my brother even yet my kid brother adam he uh, he and he, uh, he runs an art gallery and he's very aesthetically minded and he even yelled at me he, he was like your guys' stuff you know everything's kind of all over the place he's like look at the rare barrels instagram just look at it like every <laughs> single photo is just perfect and everything i don't know anyway so if you haven't checked out the rare barrel social media you ought to do it this is the uh, every episode tradition of scott seeing how many compliments he can throw my way to make me 
maximum uncomfortable. Did you bring me any bottles? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. I took okay. it all back. Okay. Uh, anything else I need to mention before we take a break or maybe get to a question, Let's do a question in a break? So it's, Let's do that. something here. Um, this <laughs> what? That wasn't... <laughs> What are you talking about? Um, that was dynamite content at the top. Justin from Lebanon, Pennsylvania says, hey, guys, love your show. Never miss an episode. Question is about a goes that I brewed. Um, I used lacto grown up from a coriander sauerkraut brine. Cool. Wow. He said it's 50, 25, 25 wheat, pale, pilsner malt. And at this stage... He said it tastes tart with citrus and coriander notes. Gravity dropped from um, 1030 to 1013. And at this point, I'm considering a fruit edition of uh, apricots or dry hopping. Um, he said, what would be a recommended amount per gallon, and how would I go about preparing the apricots? We kind of talked a little bit about that on the last show, but we can recap briefly. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about going with local uh, apricots, then... I mean, it depends. You, if you're worried about cross-contamination, you could try to do some heating on the outside of those before adding them. The purees from Oregon Fruit, as Scott uh, referenced from our last show, work out really well with that. In either instance, apricot's pretty solid. I, I, I'd do pound per gallon, and that, that should be plenty. And then what was it? Dry hop, right? Uh, yeah, he said, well, so, you know, maybe he should just jettison the fruit and uh, let the gravity bottom out and then dry hop. And in that case... What hop profiles would work best with those flavors? Jay, the hop expert, yeah. about to answer now. Interesting. I mean, to me, when it comes to sour beer, not specifically the one you're describing, um, which I think could lend itself to some other interesting varietals, but just the, the fruitiest hops probably fit the best, and ones with less kind of dank backbone or just, you know, kind of that other gritty, earthy uh, character of hop that worked well in really a lot of other beers. I don't really tend to like as much pairing it with uh, the acidity of a sour beer. So Amarillo was really nice. Citra's great. What else have we used? Mosaic, lower amounts would be great. And we dry hop around two pounds per 31 gallons. That's a brewing barrel. A little more for kind of more subtle hops, a little less maybe for more aggressive hops. So it's a benchmark and, uh, you know, take it from there. Taste and adjust. Well, Justin, if you want to send in any of that beer, once it is dry hopped or something. Sounds good. And what, <laughs> what was your... the source of the sour, the, some sort of coriander sauerkraut? Or? Coriander sauerkraut brine. He grew a lacto up in it. Interesting. I'd be more interested in how he did that. If you want to write back. What's his name again? His name's Justin. Justin. From Pennsylvania. Yeah. Let us us know how that went. Yeah. That sounds cool. Please do. And uh, thank you for writing in, Justin. Justin's question and all questions on tonight's show are going to be brought to you by Dr. Lambic, who's coming up in the next segment. Who? Sourbeerblog.com. Dr. Lambic. All right. Let's do a break and then bring in Matt. That sound good? Sounds good to me. I'm looking for some feedback from you. Oh, yeah. Uh, I I confer. Confer? Yeah, I think so. Professional podcasters here. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. No, is going to be good? Define confer. Oh, Siri. No, is that good? Hold on. Siri's the third co-host of this show. Come on, Siri. Define con- confer. Con- concur. <laughs> confer, confer. Remind Siri converter. No, she, she just said a reminder for def- define converter. I think you mean concur. Con- is that it? Is con- confer confer is like get together and talk about something, I think. Define confer. Almost like conference room. Confer means... Grant or bestow a title, degree, benefit, or right. Ha- our second one is yeah. Have discussion, exchange opinions. 
Okay. Okay. Well, Were you agreeing with me? Or I, I, I don't can't know. remember. No. Yeah, I didn't want to take a break. I had to just waste 10 more minutes like I just did. Well, there goes our perfect rating on iTunes. <laughs> we'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanishev, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of Citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. We have to do the show in between Vegas I was going to say, man, off the air is better than on the air on this show. Yeah. That's good. Although that, you could take that a lot of different ways. <laughs> off air Vegas stories. Fairly tame, the stories we were telling. For Vegas. But, of course, yeah. we can't tell them on the air because per the Board of Tourism in Nevada, what happens in Vegas? It's an unfortunate statute. And we actually weren't even talking about it off air. Right? Right. Because we're not. No, because it yeah. stays there. Mm-hmm. All right. Matt, you been to Vegas? No, no, I haven't. Never been. No, wow. Never been. Even with all that, you know, pent up sour beer doctor money, don't want to just, <laughs> just gamble light, it away. Yeah, light it on fire at a roulette table. I that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, I know it's great. Or maybe you know what? Maybe the doc goes all the time, but if he just really takes very seriously their tagline about it. Just you know what happening there, staying there. No, uh, no, I've never been. Yes. <clears throat> I've never been. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Hey, Matt, what beer should we start with, man? Uh, I think the Berliner Weiss. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much for uh, sending those in. Yes. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. So what have you been up to lately? What's been going on? Busy summer. I got married in June. You did? Uh, oh, congrats. Congratulations, man. Hey, thank you. Uh, we had a great time at NHC. Right before uh, NHC, the um, my brewing friend Kale uh, had written an article for the website Famous. on Berliner Weiss. Yeah, your and intern. The, the <laughs> the beer that we're taste that you're tasting here is um, discussed in that article. Very cool. So yeah, that NHC getting married. That's that's pretty good. Pretty good for summer. Yeah, not bad. And then uh, just uh, I guess I'll throw a, a little clarification out there for for my benefit. My husband's name is Cole. I'm not dating or in any kind of a relationship with my brewing partner. Oh, we all, I think oh, we all know that enough to. Easy enough to mix up. Kale and Cole. Oh, <laughs> but, no, I, I did screw that up because Bevo met you and Kale, right? Or no? It, Bevo met me and Cole. Okay, okay. I did screw that yeah. up. Everyone knows that Kale is his brewing apprentice. <laughs> Intern. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, let's, uh, Scott, did you pour me any beer yeah, or what? of course, brother. Did you just smell my beer? Yeah, I did. Pour, you can pour your own beer and stick your nose in that. 
<laughs> well, both Jay and I have long mustaches right now, and I swear not a single hair made it into the liquid. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to smell some Moscow <laughs> off flavor in this beer now. <laughs> Getting a little off topic. So this is the beer you said that uh, that Kale outlined in the article. Yeah. This is um, just Lactobacillus and Saccharomyces. It was a um, the Good Belly El Plantarum strain of Lactobacillus. The way uh, we brewed this was to um, the original wort OG was 1050, and we soured it at 1050, but then diluted it to 1035 after souring and um, reboiling, and then uh, fermented it with a Kolsch strain, uh, the White Labs Kolsch strain. And why the dilution step? Purely for we're gearing up for NHC. We wanted to be able to sour in one vessel enough to then dilute up to a full 15-gallon Sankey. So it's just sort of a, a making the, the beer fit to our equipment. I don't know that there's any specific benefit to it, but it seemed to have worked pretty well. Gotcha. And what was the Saccharomyces you used? It was the Kolstrain, uh White Labs German Ale. And then uh, how, what was the kind of aging process, or how, how old is this beer now? The beer was brewed for NHC, so it's about three months old now. But the souring was just like a 24, I think a 36-hour souring, and then primary fermentation was done in seven days or so. So, I mean, the, this beer was um, brewed a keg in less than two weeks. Okay, so and then this is a forced carb, right? Yeah, it is. It's interesting. So I get, I am surprised that there's no... Britannomyces in this beer. I get some hmm. aromatic and almost like a mouthfeel component that reminds me of Brett. Not that it's like so conclusive, but there's there's some compl- I, I, whatever the flavor is, I really like it, but there's a surprising amount of uh, complexity there for just uh, lactobacillus and saccharomyces. I think a lot of U.S. brewed Berliner Weisses are being brewed with pretty clean ale strains, um, like California ale type yeasts. I do think that um, using something like a German a German ale helps to throw a little bit more complexity into it. I know what you're picking up in that beer, and I think it's almost like a doughy, like a flour yeah, mm-hmm. that's um, flavor. So I guess I can't – I haven't thrown it under a microscope. I can't guarantee that there wasn't a little cross-contamination uh, with everything else that I do brew at the same time, especially when we were, we were brewing like crazy gearing up for HC. But that flavor's been present pretty much from the beginning, and I don't think the beer never formed a pellicle or anything. I, I do think it's probably just from the Kolsch yeast. Oh, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. It's just uh, I-, I really like it. And, you know, it's very clean. And, yeah, I mean, if this is the uh, the outcome of, you know, reading your article on Berliner or any of the fast-souring stuff, I think I think everyone should be doing this. I could drink a lot of this beer. Yeah, this would be a good a float beer, you know, floating down the Truckee River. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or like liter at a time, you know, get the stein yeah, out. Yeah, I've, I've filled up a few pitchers already and, and drank, uh, drank them by the pool over the summer for this beer. It goes down easy. Yeah, no, I thought you were going to say earlier tonight. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, let's get into uh, your newest article, which I, you know, I was, I was happy to see that one up on the site and uh, very happy to see the subject that you chose. Uh, what did you pick uh, Sour Beer Fundamentals? The idea here sort of came after writing the blending article. I had alluded in that article that I would like to continue to write about 
the whole sour beer process for long aged blended type sours throughout this year. And um, I thought that I would just sort of work backwards uh, since I started with blending sort of being the end of the the end of the, the story. I would just step backwards with two more articles. So this one is all focused on fermentation, the um, organisms of fermentation and what you can do to measure measure your fermentations, track them, and in some cases adjust them if not going quite the direction you want. And, you know, you kind of start the, the article out a little bit with, uh, you know, the, the characters in sour beer making, these microbes. Is there, you know, a lot of this is, since it is a, a fundamentals article, is, is probably review uh, for you at this point, but is there something in building this article that kind of stood out to you when it came to the microbes? The microbe section is is very much review. I don't know that there's any groundbreaking info in there. Um, I did write up a section that kind of describes this relationship of um, Britannomyces to Decara, this kind of dual genus name that gets mixed in and how those are actually related. That's something that when I researched was kind of new to me. I thought that was really interesting, so I put that in there. As far as, as this article goes, I think the mindset that I wanted to put forth was sort of a download of what have I learned over the last five years doing sour beer fermentations, managing them, that type of thing. And the article, while it is like a fundamentals article, I I think I, I try to avoid extreme specifics, so I, I don't for example, there's nowhere in the article where it's going to say, you know, if you use this strain of lactobacillus, pair it with uh, these strains of Saccharomyces and Brutanomyces, then this is exactly what you're going to expect. It's more so an overview of why would you use, why do you use lactobacillus at one point or another? What can you do to control that portion of a fermentation? And the same for, you know, Saccharomyces, Britannomyces, how to make adjustments, and sort of what variety of strains you pick might yield certain types of results. And that's what I tried to, to put forth in the article. Yeah, and I mean, you do uh, a great job in outlining kind of the timing of adding these microbes as a factor in flavor creation. Can you walk us through a little bit? I mean, you kind of divided it up into kind of everything up front, staggering uh, throughout, and then maybe spontaneous being its own uh, own kind of evolution. Can you walk us through the different, the different types of timing strategies on these? Sure. So that's the, um, the second portion of the article. And just like you alluded, um, I think there's three major kind of breakdowns of how you could go about putting the organisms into the beer. The oldest school method is going to be, or I should say maybe the oldest school method would be spontaneous fermentation. <laughs> and that's, uh, I allude to it in the article, I discuss the basics of it, but most of the control of spontaneous fermentation is in wort production. So I intend to actually get into that quite a bit in the next, or probably the last article of the year that has to do all about the um, sour beer brew day. But for sort of old school craft sour brewers, we always worked with mixed cultures. You know, everything that you were going to put into the beer went in in the beginning. And that's a, a, 
a method that can produce really great sour beer, but I, I think it's a little less predictable. With any mixed culture, if you don't know what your cell counts are, maybe even specifics down to what your strains are, you're left a little bit more in a waiting and seeing kind of mentality. You know, I'm going to pitch everything in. I'm going to see how it goes. And that is definitely a, a valid way to, to brew sour beer, but it leaves you with less control over the final product. If that beer doesn't develop enough acidity, then there may be ways to you know add new strains to help uh, to help with that. If it develops too much acidity, that's something that you you know is is really out of your control. It's left to the the strains that were in that culture. Um, the other factors that go with this sort of all the bugs up front approach are um, really you can you can temperature control the beer uh, you can control oxygen exposure you know fermentation vessel choice that type of thing but that method takes some level of predictability out of the sour beer that you're going to be creating the other major I'd say class of how do I put the organisms into the beer would be breaking them up and staggering these pitches based on whatever your goals for that beer are. So I've, I've talked uh, in, in previously, and, and I allude on the website to this sort of three-step fermentation, lactobacillus up front, then saccharomyces, and then Britannomyces as three distinct additions to the beer at different time frames. That method has always been sort of my go-to. I like it because I have more control over what strains I'm picking, what condition the beer is in at the time when I'm putting those uh, strains into the beer, uh, pitch rate, that type of thing. And if a beer turns out particularly well, if I record the different measurements and make careful observations on that beer based on what I'm adding, there's a really good chance that I could recreate that flavor profile by repeating all the same steps uh, because I know exactly what I'm putting into the beer and I know kind of what was going on numbers and measurements wise in the beer at the time when those organisms went in. I think those are excellent points and I'll, I'll just echo some of those when it comes to the rare barrel. You know, I think we started with quite a bit of this sort of all the bugs up front idea. Um, you know, we had these stainless steel fermenters that we weren't shy about in air quotes, cross-contaminating with bread or uh, different lactic acid bacteria. And I knew that, you know, these souring microorganisms would need time to grow into the volume that, you know, would kind of, we would need to be able to blend or inoculate future batches. So we kind of started with that, uh, knowing, yeah, it's, it is less predictable, but we always view these as more blending stock or inoculants for future beer, which I think, you know, you mentioned, Matt, is maybe... Without knowing exactly how they're going to go in the beginning, that's a good way to view them. Um, over time, if you'd like to continue the all the all the microbes up front method, you can adjust things on you know on the hot side. Like you uh, reference will be probably in your next article, Matt, which is you know the sour beer brew day, whether it's you know mash temperature or hopping rate or something like that. And you just dial in your your way of doing things. I think uh, Mike Tonsmeyer from our first show mentioned that, that that was his preferred way of doing things, kind of the, the mixed culture all up front. And, yeah, you know, you dial it in, and then you can produce consistent results that way. 
But I think what, what we're finding at the Rare Braille is that, you know, we did, uh, I think, a good thing by doing this in the beginning where we're giving more advantages to the bacteria so they can grow and make a lot of sour beer to be these inoculants or blending components. But now that we've kind of built that stock up and now our bacteria are extremely potent, you know, we're focusing more on these staggered additions where we're keeping bacteria out for quite a bit of the process, trying to develop a Saccharomyces Britannomyces kind of mix of beers to drive more aromatics and then layer in either a blending of the sour beer or just an inoculant with not that much residual sugar left in the beer because our bacteria are so strong now that they can sour things more quickly to a greater extent and with less kind of babying of these bacteria. So I think, you know, uh, it's not a, I think it's not an either or depending on how extensive your sour beer cellar can be, but I think using both of these methods is is pretty beneficial. Will the bacteria continue to get stronger? Is there no ceiling? Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, if you keep feeding them and feeding them, I mean, of course, there's kind of like a limit to how much just total acid the bacteria can probably produce in a beer and maybe still have it drinkable, right. I guess. But yeah, I mean, it's and then, you know, uh, Matt, you mentioned these kind of staggered additions. This is kind of what I view as, uh, you know, kind of like the Russian River type of method where Vinny's brewing a Saccharomyces beer up front, then putting it into oak barrels, adding Britannomyces, I believe for a month to two months, and then adding his mixed culture, which is dominant with PDO. And I think something that we touched on early on on the Sour Hour was, you know, that, that works really well for Russian River for a reason. It's because they're Brett culture is so strong and their uh, PDO dominant bacteria mix culture is so strong that they can just put in little little flasks in this uh, beer and they get the desired result. But if you're building a, a sour beer cellar out of nowhere, you have to build your beer a little bit differently, maybe with more of these additions up front. And I think we're seeing a lot of the the homebrewers who have you know kind of followed us and dove into sour beer with us kind of heed that advice. But I should also put out a warning that, you know, you can go too far with this and you'll have to adjust with, you know, different methods, but I think the the staggered addition can help. But I don't know. Have you seen any of that in your own uh, home brewing and blending, Matt? Well, I've, I'll go through a couple things I've, I've noticed and I, I try to touch on them as best as I can in the article. But um, I, I should say, I don't want to put off, uh, put across that one of these is inherently better than the other. Um, they're all just methods, things that, that you can do. And, and if you use them, you know, I, I try to describe what you may and may not expect from them and what you might have to look out for. But uh, one of the reasons that, um, all the bugs up front method is is really a great method, especially for new sour brewers, is any period of time when your wort is not having at least a dominant yeast fermenter in it is a real risk time for the beer, I'd, I'd say. It's one of the, the periods where you're at the greatest chance of developing off flavors and problems because of any type of contamination. Um, when Saccharomyces or Britannomyces is actively fermenting a beer, it's protecting it in a sense. You know, it's creating alcohol. It's dropping the pH to a point where uh, a whole host of organisms that we're familiar with being beer contaminants and probably a lot that we really aren't even on our radar, it's keeping those things from, from running amok. And 
that's one of the great things about a mixed culture, all the, you know, bugs up front approach is that if that beer is fermenting within the first 24 hours, you're virtually never going to find problems that you, that a lot of like, um, kettle sour brewers and brewers who use these, um, any type of process where like lactobacillus might be in there by itself, that type of thing, finding off flavors like butyric acid, isovaleric acid, some of these volatile, noxious, like bacterial created products, they virtually never appear in mixed culture, all the bugs up front type of beers. It's a problem for uh, brewers or home brewers with kind of more extensive souring programs is if you're trying to do the, sa- the staggered method, keeping a strong enough Brett culture on its own for the staggered pitch or uh, bacteria culture on its own for the staggered pitch can be problematic for those same factors because, you know, the Saccharomyces does a great job protecting almost immediately because it's, it's a lot easier to grow up enough cells to, you know, perform those tasks, uh, adding alcohol, dropping the pH, but really the Brett and bacteria, Especially, um, you know, you need to grow up those on a very small scale before you can be comfortable that, hey, this is the dominant culture and it's protected, and especially the bacteria, because that's just going to leave so much sugar in there to yeah. for anything else to, to come in and cross-contaminate your inoculant. And, you know, it can be hard because you taste that, you know, let's say you have lacto going and it's just continuous and you use that to inoculate your beers. You may taste it before you add it, but, you know, what is... Lacto plus seven Play-Doh that's been on its own for six months supposed to taste like, you know, not a lot of people know. And there could be some pretty nasty stuff growing in there if you're not careful. Exactly. And I, I think the other thing to keep in mind is that all of these methods kind of become tailored to your results and, and the strains that you're working with. Like back in, I started using the this three-step method that I that I like in 2011 or early or late 2010 and at that time there were not uh, as many uh, available to home brewer um, bacteria cultures and things on the market um, one of the cultures that i've had a lot of success with over the years using this method is white labs l delbruckii strain of lactobacillus and before a lot of things like pitch rates uh, for bacteria and that type of thing were on my radar, I knew that if I put one vial of White Labs L. Delbruckii into a wart and I held it hot uh, above 100 degrees for a couple of days, then I pitched in Saccharomyces and then I pitched in Britannomyces, I would eventually yield a nice, complex, sour beer. It would develop the acidity I was looking for while still maintaining some of the other uh, flavor components and complexities. But at the at the same time, you know, five years ago, if you took that El Delbruckii strain and threw it in after Saccharomyces and Britannomyces had done their thing, you'd pretty much never it it won't acidify at least not in the in the uh, the pitch rate that you're getting in a White Labs file. So this uh, so some of these steps are kind of strain dependent, and, and they can help to maximize what you can get out of, you know, certain strains. This, uh, we'll talk, I can talk about it a little bit more with the, um, the next beer that I, that I sent in, but I use the same three-step method with some of the more modern and, um, 
lactobacillus strains that have been selected for really great kettle souring potential. And they can actually produce a beer so acidic that you can't get it to attenuate. And that, that happened to me for the first time earlier this year. Interesting. Wow. Well, I definitely want to get into the next beer and, you know, kind of finish up the overview of the article. But I think it's time for a break. But before we do that, maybe just a quick question. Yeah. On the uh, on the topic of cultures, uh, this is from uh, Jesse G, who says, uh, hey, guys, been brewing primarily sours for about a year and a half. And I am just looking to create a house culture uh, of just Brett and Lacto, specifically no PDO. He says he knows this is similar to the rare barrels primary culture. Is that true? Yeah, I take issue with calling it primary culture because it's, you know, we're changing all the time. But we we used it quite a bit in our first year of production. Okay. He says he was curious um, if you guys could recommend a uh, fairly hop-resistant home-brewing lacto strain. Once again, he says that he knows the Rare Barrel uses BSI Lacto-D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. And, uh, but he says he's not sure if, like, Y-Yeast White Labs Lacto-D would be as hop-resistant. So what about the, the strain you just mentioned, Doc? Is that is that a hop-resistant strain? Actually, I'm going inter- to just jump yeah. in real quick and say that the Delbrucchia we use is not uh, hop-resistant. No, it's not. And that is, it's, it's the same strain that uh, Matt was just talking about. Okay. But, Matt, do you, do you know of a homebrew strain that's a little more hop-tolerant? They... Say that Brevis is a little bit more hop tolerant, but I think you're still talking about maxing out at 10 IBUs or so in a lot of a lot of situations. It's it depends what you're trying to how you're trying to get that lactobacillus to sour the beer. I think that the hop tolerance of lactobacillus may change over time, especially generationally, if it's being grown um, in hoppy warts. Uh, through generations, it probably becomes more hop tolerant. But I avoid using uh, boil hops in almost all of my recipes just because of uh, – for that very reason. Like unless I'm intending to, to include PDO in the fermentation, I keep the boil hops to a minimum. And I think an alternative is to – and correct me if I'm wrong about this, Matt, when I, the way I'm thinking about it – but. Can't you do your kettle souring, uh, you know, heat it up and it's, you know, one to three days or whatever with the lacto? You're going to bring it to a boil again. Can you just add hops then? Oh, definitely. Yeah, actually, that that, uh, Berliner Weiss has probably about 15 IBUs in it that I gave gave you guys. Awesome. So that's that's a great alternative there is just, you know, don't don't worry about the hops inhibiting the lacto. Give it a free reign. You can probably more consistently predict the amount of acidity being produced over time that way since it's just, you know, likely your normal method of kettle souring on the hot side. And then uh, adjust the IBUs when you bring it back to a boil and go from there. Uh, Matt, should we do the other unlabeled bottle next? Yeah, I think so. Cool. All right. We'll work on opening that and having Scott smell all the glassware before he hands (laughs) it to me. And we'll be right back on the Sour Hour. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones know beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. 
program. Certified beer server, certified Cicerone, and master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious, Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. Network. Got one of our sponsors on the phone. Had another sponsor in the show before, but I don't want to forget one of our other great sponsors, the Wine and Hop Shop. Where are they at? We need to get them in studio. Well, they're on the online, wineandhop.com. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, they're carrying our friends at Omega Yeast and Giga Yeast. Most items are shipped within 24 hours. Best of all, BN listeners and only BN listeners get a flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds. Just enter BN Shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop Shop. Wine and Hop Doc. No? Wine and Hop. Dot com. Wine and Hop. Dot com. Dot com. Okay. Got through that. Mm-hmm. You still hanging in there, Matt? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> it's like I tuned out during the idiocy, but now I'm back. So, uh, getting into a good discussion of uh, Dr. Lambeth's latest article on SourBeerBlog.com. We've also been lucky enough to receive some of his beers, and we've got uh, Unlabeled Beer Number 2 open in front of us. Uh, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about this one? This one has an interesting uh, story. This was a a beer that we were brewing, uh, getting gearing up for NHC, um, and used a... uh, a pretty standard recipe, something like 60% Pilsner, 40% wheat, that type of thing. And pulled uh, out some of the the standard kind of like three-step method that I've used for a lot of other beers. Uh, but this time we picked a strain of lactobacillus uh, produced by Giga Yeast. It's their um, fast-souring lacto. Nice. And the Did pro- you get it from wineandhop.com? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I did. Good man. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> the thing we noticed with this, and it's one of the first, I think it's the first time we've used this strain um, in a beer where there was a high pitch rate of lactobacillus. The There was never a second boil, so the lactobacillus survives the whole way through to the finished beer. This strain dropped the acidity uh, for this particular beer more down to a point where even Britannomyces was not attenuating it. Um, we were taking pH measurements uh, down in the 2.9s on, on this. So it left us in a little bit of a conundrum. And, you know, it, it, um, 
wasn't fully attenuated, extremely sour. We weren't sure what to do with it. So we diluted it down 50% just to taste it and make sure, see what we were dealing with uh, acidity-wise. And to drink it straight, it was completely undrinkable. And it's like harsh, burning the throat, that type of thing. Reminded you of, of acetic acid. Um, but when we watered it down, uh, it's actually just really strong lactic acid, which I kind of assumed based on the fact that the beer was very young and didn't get much oxygen exposure. So we brewed a second version of the exact same recipe, except this time we layered in somewhere around 30 IBUs of hopping and fermented it with just Britannomyces. It was a mix of uh, different bruxellensis, lambicus, kind of a house culture that I have going um, of different Britannomyces strains and let that ferment at completion, um, no acidity in that beer. And then we blended the two together to give us a new base to work with for a couple of the beers that we were going to be taking to NHC. And this was one of them. Uh, after that blend was made, uh, the remaining residual sugar from the acid beer did ferment out. And um, to that blend, we added uh, about two pounds. Actually, I think it was just one pound per gallon for this beer of um, homegrown grapes that I got from my parents' garden. They're, yeah. I'm not sure exactly what variety they were. Some sort of like muscadine style kind of wildish grape. Um, pretty high in acidity themselves, um, but with a little bit of a desserty character too. That came yeah. out great. It really I, did. I really like this beer. Yeah. I remarked on um, the the grape candy flavor on mm-hmm. the uh, last uh, homebrew centered show, and this this beer definitely has that too. And maybe that's what you mean with the the desserty quality. It's kind of grape candy. Yeah, it's like um, reminds you a little bit of a Niagara or a Moscato wine i think in some senses how did how did the carbonation hold on in that beer is it fairly flat or is it pretty is it is it all right it's it's low i'd say it's uh kind of below medium but certainly there's uh there's carbonation to the beer for sure yeah i wouldn't call it flat that that's one that i was a little worried about because the uh keg um that i had the beer left over in from nhc wasn't kept cold and Mm -hmm. i filled the grosh style bottle directly warm off the keg so i know there's a lot of off gassing and stuff going on i wasn't sure how that would maintain for you guys but the flavor is great it reminds me a lot of kind of cherry it's like cherry and but like pepper like black pepper Hmm. with cherries Mm -hmm. it's like a nice spicy sour combo there well yeah i mean for your afterthought of an afterthought matt this held up quite nicely good (laughs) the spicy black pepper thing is something i've noticed with um when you run like uh, a lot of Britannomyces strains as a primary fermenter, it seems like they throw off thing, some flavors that would remind you of Saison's black pepper and clove and some of those type things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, your discussion of kind of how this beer came about was really interesting. It's something that we've been uh, kind of troubleshooting at the Rare Barrel uh, lately, which is kind of... We have a young, uh, young sour beer that has uh, what I what I perceive as a lot of lactic acid to the point, and I and I love your comment where you said you know it almost seemed acetic because of how much lactic acid there was, and I think that's an important distinction to make because knowing the difference at that high of a level can be pretty difficult unless you have it tested because 
a lot of lactic acid can taste like acetic acid. And you can draw, you know, very different conclusions based on whether you think it's acetic acid or, or just a lot of lactic acid there. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there gets to be a point with certain flavors, anything that's strong enough becomes uh, unpalatable. That's why I do, I like that kind of tri- old, like, homebrewer's trick of, of watering things down to dive into their flavors a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes that separates uh, stuff out a little bit, lets you, makes it uh, easier. And I wouldn't recommend it for something that's like bait borderline. You know, like, is this or isn't this is not in the beer? Like, that would then become so dilute that you may not taste it at all. But if you're trying to discern between strong flavors, it works great. Yeah, I also like your strategy of kind of going about it with, you know, your house Brett culture and a primary fermentation and adding that in. I've noticed that, you know, when we do think about these beers that maybe are a little over the lactic threshold and, and brewing a beer to be specifically blended with a, a sour beer like that. You know, there's obviously the benefit of blending a beer with a, you know, a higher pH with a beer with a lower pH, and that will help the attenuation quite a bit. But then there's also the active Brett cultures, Brett being a more pH tolerant um, Yeast and Saccharomyces overall, um, I think, are all all things to think about. Not just you know if you have a beer that's you know too sour. I, it's something I'm thinking about for times of uh, bottle conditioning, like our show with uh, our other Doctor Matt. I'm sorry we cheated on you with a different Doctor Matt. <laughs> oh, that's that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, Doctor Matt Bachman. Um, he talked about terminal acid shock and bottle conditioning of beers. I think it's. You know, adding fresh bread and raising the pH a bit is good for that sort of thing as well. And then also at times of fruiting, uh, you know, with the trend of people f- adding so much fruit to their sour beers, I think you need to take into account what the pH of the base blend is, what the new pH will be after adding all this new acid with fruit to the beer. And then, you know, how how are the the yeast and bacteria that have been, you know, if they're sour beers and they've been sitting around for a while, if those are quite dormant, how are you going to help them through this kind of harsh new environment? And I think that's that's a good way to, if you're thinking like that, then you'll be preventing off flavors, but also creating some more balanced sour beers. I completely agree. And I, if I had to brew this beer again, I don't think I would shoot to create an undrinkable acid beer blender and blend it with a, um, with a completely non-acidic base. I think that was sort of a, you know, we need a Hail Mary here. I've got <laughs> I've got a, a brew fest coming up, and I want to be able to take something that, that's good, but, you know, it's not necessarily an ideal creating sour beer. It's really where all of these steps come into play. You know, we, we talk about, you know, fermentation management and control. And in the article, I, I discuss different ways to steer a beer one direction or another, measurements you can take. But it's important to keep in mind that uh, your biggest tool is still potentially going to be blending. You know, I don't think that the goal of fermentation management is to unmarry yourself from the blending process. It can just help to ensure that more of the beers coming out of your program are quality beers that you'd like to blend with uh, and less dumpers. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll encourage people to go uh, visit Sour Beer Blog and, and check out the, the article there. And, you know, we'll, for now, you do go into kind of like the what to do while you're waiting 
the aging part of the the sour beer process when it comes to monitoring and tasting and stuff like that. But uh, with the time that we do have left, I want to dive into this uh, the third and and final beer you sent us, which uh, Scott got open after about ten minutes of <laughs> trying to uncork it. But I was hoping you didn't it see is, that. Oh no, I was watching I was, that. I was struggling. <laughs> but uh, what what is this? Uh, what's the deal with this fancy beer? Uh, that beer is a um, it's blended in the style of an ode framboise. This is is my one of the favorite beers that I've, I've brewed. I should say. I guess I shouldn't throw that maybe out before you taste it. But it's the kind of culmination of of my blending program uh, in the sense that some of the the best base beers that I had to work with added with a about three pounds per gallon of fresh whole red raspberries produced a very low yield you know I didn't have a lot of this beer when it was all said and done but it was one of these like cuvee blend type things that I that I wanted to do using you know just the little bit of all the best of what I had so I think um you know, the three beers I sent in tonight, I was trying to choose ones that really went through radically different methods of being produced. So, you know, you started with a Berliner Weiss, kettle soured, um, relatively low complexity method of production, you know, lactobacillus and then saccharomyces. This next beer, the, the grape sour was, you know, a, a lactobacillus, um, saccharomyces, Britannomyces fermentation, um, paired with just a Britannomyces fermentation and then adding fruit. Uh, this beer was multiple methods. So there was some base beer included that was a mixed culture up front. Some of the base beers included were this three-step method, um, all using different strains. And this was, was more this like classic style that I discuss in the blending article. In fact, there's details about the, the blending of this beer and what the bases taste like in that blending article. You know, picking beers that could have all been uh, essentially drank on their own. They were all quality bases to blend with. Putting them together, adding fruit, letting it age. Uh, right now, the, the beer is about a year in bottle. It's fantastic. It's really, you, you really got me great. drinking more of it right yeah. there. Really good stuff. Yeah, I, the balance in this beer is is very nice. Mm -hmm. um, really, just enough of everything you want. Just enough yep. acid. Just enough raspberry. Just enough funk. Good mouthfeel. Carbonation. Really good. This is, uh, yeah, one of the best beers I've had in a while yep. for sure. And I had, and I thought that before you mentioned it was your favorite. <laughs> I, I just thought, I was sitting here thinking, you know, oh, I just got done like putting this beer up on a giant pedestal. And then... imagine how much more we would have liked it had you not done that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's great. I think you know, sending such a, a wide variety of sours, I think was was quite a treat for us, and especially this last one, uh, not because uh, you know we like that more than the others. We love them all equally, but. The fact that you have a little bit less of this is uh, its very generous of you to, to send our way. Indeed. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to share. You know, I, I, I love, uh, I think the the real joy of this um, craft is getting to, to share with people and, and have a social aspect to brewing. That's definitely why I got into it. I love craft beer culture, and it's exciting to, to get to talk about these things and, and share beer and that type of thing. Yeah, man, when are we going to uh, get you out in the studio? I would love to. I, I, I will see. 
I find my my schedule is um, is really difficult as a as a pharmacist to get away for long periods of time. But um, I'd love to get out in the future. Well, um, you know, there is a new uh, there's like a semi private jet service. I don't even know, Jay, if you know about this. It's called uh, Jet Suite. I keep up on my jet service. Gossip talk. I'm proud to give them a free plug. Uh, they fly directly into Concord, where the uh, Brewing Network Studios is located here in the Hop Grenade. And it's they got weird uh, spots. I think it's like Vegas, Bozeman, Montana, um, Burbank. Uh, but they fly into Concord, which for those that don't know, this is like a little regional airfield. I mean, this is not an airport. Uh, but they offer jet service, and, uh, you know, if you're in Bozeman or Burbank or Vegas, you know, the more people fly this service, the more uh, cities they add, and maybe they can add Dr. Lambic City, and he can take a private, basically private jet right here into Concord and come share some uh, sour beer in the studio. That sounds like a sweet it, It's deal. awesome. <laughs> I, I flew it to L.A. like two weekends ago. It's incredible. Really? Yeah. No From T- Concord. Yeah. No TSA. You, f- you park free at the airport. You just walk onto the plane. You you fly to Burbank. Uh, the free free drinks on board. They had craft beer. Wow. It was amazing. This is, I can never fly commercial ever again. The BN jet. That's, that's basically what it felt like. <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, you, you got to get out here and uh, share some of this with us in person, man. This, this stuff's really great. I'd love to. All right. Well, thanks so much, Matt, for not only your your time, but your information and your terrific beer. For sure. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thanks for the compliments. Of course, man. See you. The doc. All the right. good doctor. Uh, you know, one thing uh, I wanted to mention here before we wrap up, Scott. Yep. Is uh, a great sponsor that we just had on the last show, which is Oregon Fruit. You know, Chris uh, was kind enough to come and join us in the studio and talk about the whole process. If you're listening to this one and somehow you missed the one before, Definitely go back and listen to that one. We get into a lot of the their process and sourcing of the different fruits. And he's also very interested in working with brewers on developing new fruits or just making things easy for us because, uh, you know, the purees do really make things quite a bit easier. They do. I wonder if, because uh, Chris joined us in studio, I wonder if Chris flew Jet Suite into Concord. Maybe from uh, from up in Salem where they are. They're, uh, I'll, I'll just uh, give them their quick plug, although he did a great job selling you guys on it uh, in the last show. But, uh you know, they're, they're making these aseptic purees that's just nothing more than the fruit. So no additives, no artificial flavors, just a great expression of the raw fruit. Like I was mentioning, Chris is happy to work with you guys to introduce new fruits. they got a few more coming up here in the next, uh, before the end of the year. They've already done a few new ones. But uh, they're doing uh, rhubarb and what's the other one he's doing? Passion fruit. Yep. Yeah, they've already introduced mango and pineapple, a lot of cool new stuff. Did you say guava too? They're, they're maybe working on working guava on for next year, but they want to hear from you guys. So, uh, you know, get in contact with Oregon Fruit. Uh, they're always willing to listen. Interesting hearing your new ideas for products. And, uh, yeah, they bring fruit to life, life. Scott. To life. You know, um, in Jew, that's Lachayim. You ever heard L'chaim? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's to life. To life? To life. I like that. Mm-hmm. L'chaim. Oh, you know what that means, Scott. I've learned. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is our outro. we wrap up the show. Thank you for your co-hosting and engineering skills. My pleasure, man. Good to see you. Can't wait for the event next week. Rare Barrel Search Selection. For the Rare Barrel. Thanks to Dr. Lambic for joining us. Sourbeerblog.com. Thanks to all you listeners out there. We'll catch you next time. Well, hi, um. <laughs>